All right, friends, I invite you to stand as a gesture of reverence and surrender uh, for the reading of Scripture today. Uh, our reading is from Romans 8 and perhaps the greatest paragraph in the whole Bible. We just put on the beginning. 8, 31 to 38. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in response, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may grab a seat. Sometimes I wonder when I read that if I should even preach or if we should just read that all day. I think that'd be enough in a lot of ways. So if you've been with us the past uh, few weeks, we're in this series because he first loved us. And the, it's built off of our time in Mark, where Jesus gives us the greatest commandment to love God and love people. And to know to live out that commandment of loving God, love people, starts with the fact that God loves us. The order of love in Scripture is that God loves. He's poured out his love. We receive and respond to his love. And we learn to love God and love people because of that. Now, the past two weeks, I've talked about obstacles to that. Our wounds and our sin majorly gets in the way of us receiving, noticing, delighting in, taking in God's lavish love for us. But we talked about how God powers through our wounds and our sin. He's overcome that, so now we can receive. And yet, look at all this love. God loves us. We love God. We love people. How do we start to actually define this love of how God loves us and how we are called to love people? How do we begin to define it? As I mentioned recently, love in our culture is doing too much, man. I mean, you can't love your wife and love God and love Shawnee Secret Chicken down the way here. Man, I try to have all my meetings down. Shawnee Secret, love donuts. We love sunsets. We love sports. We love our favorite shows. Love's doing too much. And so how should we define it? Maybe you start with the dictionary. Now, you know how dictionaries work. It just... It's not an authority going down. It's more reactive. It's just painting a picture of how we already use the word. So when we go to the dictionary, it's like, what, what are we already doing with this word love in our culture? And I went there, and there's at least 97 definitions, and you get to have four today. This is what Webster says, that love is a strong affection arising out of kinship or personal ties, like a mother's love for her children. Affection based on sexual desire. We use the word love when we're really talking about a sexual desire, affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interests, or warm attachment, enthusiasm, and devotion. These were the first four, and especially related to how we love one another. And I just want you to notice how much of this is driven by kind of some stuff we can't necessarily control, or at least initially. Our affections, our attractions, our desires, our enthusiasm. 
but anyone that knows, that has experienced the richness of love between human beings, of a loving friendship, a loving relationship, knows that sometimes there's not desire or affection or attraction or even warmth. You start to get all the way through how God, we started last week, died for even his enemies and caused us to love enemies. And man, you might go your whole life and never quite have affection and warmth and enthusiasm toward your enemies. And so this is though how our culture talks about love. And then we, or how we use love. We're like swimming in a culture that uses love in this way. And then we end up putting that onto, that must be what God's love is and how God loves us and how we are to love. But I love again, this verse from 1 John 4, that God is love. And so instead of starting with all the ways our culture would use love, the ways we're swimming in how we talk about love, that is kind of a, 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 a truncated view of it, that, is, that lessens the, the degree to which God loves and how we love, we start with God. All that God has been and is, all the ways he's revealed himself to us throughout scripture and history, the ways he's shown himself in Jesus, we start there. That whole story of God's personal engagement, that's love. And then we learn how to love from there. And so we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks now. And this is from Scott McKnight. He's a New Testament scholar, and he writes this. out of When he starts with reading all about what God's love has been and what God has been, he says, biblical love is a rugged commitment to be with people, for people, to grow together in Christ's likeness. A rugged commitment to be with people, for people, to grow together in Christ's likeness. So this week, I want to kind of talk about the rugged commitment to grow together in Christ's likeness. And the next week, we'll do the be with people and for people. And then we'll have one more Sunday that I think this definition doesn't uh, embrace. That is, I think, pretty central to God's love, which is self-sacrifice. So that's how we're going to talk about love the next three weeks. So this week, it's God's commitment toward his ultimate purpose, a rugged commitment to grow together in Christ's likeness. That's how we love one another, and that's how, Christ, that's how God has loved us. He made a rugged commitment to us to form us together in Christ's likeness. But even Christ's likeness is towards a bigger goal. It's a, even a bigger picture than that. And I want to talk about God's commitment to us towards his ultimate purpose, and that is the core foundation and framework of biblical love. As you think about how does God love us, how do we love other people, it starts there. And so I'm going to talk about three things. The big story of God's commitment and purpose is creation and new creation. What this means for God's love for us, what this means for how we love people. There's, when we start talking about loving people, most of us have a big story framework that kind of dictates that. Sometimes it can be acceptance, like God accepts everyone, our call is to accept or inclusion. Sometimes it is justice, like God is setting things right, and that's his big picture story. And I think all three of those things are there, but they even fit within the bigger framework of God making a rugged commitment in the act of creation, and he will see that commitment through to the end of all things when he makes things new, and all of love is the in-between of that. And it grounds our love and how we receive it from God and how we love other people. So we got lots of Bible today. I'm going to hustle through it, but you're going to be tough. It's going to be all right. 
You like you came to church to read scripture. You're not going to want me up here talking my voice. We're going to read God's voice. And I'm not going to be able to break down all these passages. I'm just trying to demonstrate the big picture commitment of God's love for us. And so I'll talk about the beginning of the story, the end of the story, and what it feels like to be caught in between as we experience God's love together. Y'all ready? Be ready. We're ready. We're good. Let's do this. Start right out. Genesis 1, 26. God has made all these other things. He set up this world with no life in it yet, no human life, and he's ready to insert his prized possession in creation. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right out the gate, you start to see that out of love and purpose, God empties himself in the even act of making creation. The Trinity is permanent, ever-flowing love, relationally permanent. All is well and perfectly harmonious. And out of that love, it pours out God's love to make all things as an act of love, to participate in that love with creation. The crown jewel of that is human beings, where God makes this cosmic temple where he's ready to dwell, and he puts his humans right in the middle of that, and they have his image. They're a reflection of God right there, that there can be no idol in this world because we are the idol. We are the ones that God has made to be at the center of his creation, and we get a job to rule that creation with him. We are just dust that God has breathed his spirit to give life to for this long-term, permanent, eternal partnership with God. That's the foundation of God's love, that we have his spirit in us to be his image bearers in this world so that we can rule creation with him. Keep going. So God blesses them with the full-blown commitment to their flourishing and said to them, they have a job, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he starts with this little garden and all of creation. It was like, now it's time for human beings to partner with me for this special act of loving and serving all of creation. It's not a violent rule. It's not go steal and, and, and just pilfer everything you can in creation to get what you can out of it. It's not squeeze it and kill it to make it yours. It's not domination. It's you get to be in a partnership with God to steward creation for his purposes. You and me are just dust. That's tremendously humbling. In whom the spirit of life has given life for relationship with him, and it's a relationship with him towards this beautiful goal of creation's flourishing. And God says that is very good. So God loves this physical, this physical materiality of creation. His love for us isn't apart from that. Our frailty is not in the way of that. Our dustness is not in the way of that. He loves the real. He doesn't need us in our heads and our desires and going inside of ourselves and escaping our bodies and dominating our bodies. He's like, be all in with the grit and the dirt of life. He says it's very good, the creation that he's made and that he invites us to partner with him to rule, starting with our own bodies, which is his creation. 
So his love for us is attached to his purposes for what our bodies in this world is made for. And he says it's so good. And what we will find is that he will never abandon it. Though creation will go awry, he's never like, well, don't worry. Let's just set creation on fire and we'll go float over heaven all day with your like disembodied soul. The end of all things is going to be a body that is made right. So how's this go? So, when is, you know, if you're a good Bible reader, you turn the page. How's this partnership go? It's terrible, man. The wheels fall off immediately. It's like, oh, man, I'm on a journey. Bam, crash and burn immediately. But after the crash and the burning, notice God's commitment to making it right. He curses the serpent who tempted his image bearers. He says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Check out God's commitment towards his goal. But he, the offspring of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will strike the heel of the offspring. So I have all these weird highlights here just to sufficiently distract you so that you don't fall asleep so you can come back to me so I can tell you how God, when his creation project goes awry, He's like, oh, gosh, what are we going to do here? He could burn it to the ground. That's what I do. When a project goes bad, I'm like, man, we're just going to throw this away. It's gonna, we're going to do something else. I'm not built for this. I'm built for a different kind of project. God's like, I've already made a commitment to this project. I made it. It's very good. I made it out of love with a purpose, and I'm committed to seeing it through. In the same way he made it, he made it for humans to partner with him. And so now when it goes poorly, humans are still going to partner with him for the goodness of creation. And so the offspring of the woman, this is like an early prophecy that Jesus will one day make things right. He was even, he's made the world with and through human beings. He wants to steward the world with and through human beings. And he's even gonna redeem a broken world through a physical human being in real life because that's on the way to his goal, which is always commitment to real life, embodied creation and partnership with his spirit. And so this is the beginning point of a promise that he will make things right. The word that God, that the Bible will use for this kind of promise is covenant, which is a foreign word to our culture. Our culture is not very covenantal. We use contracts here. What contract means is I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but only in this one area and only temporarily because if the contract goes badly, I'm out. But covenant is like, God is like, I can't be God without you in it. I'm going to give my whole self in relationship with you. I want you to give your whole self in relationship to me. And we're not going to go apart from each other. God refuses to be God without humans connected with him. The closest thing we have to that is a good marriage. But even our marriages oftentimes in our culture are like contracts. So long as you make me happy, so long as I make you happy, we'll stick together. But a true biblical marriage is I am promising my life to you. And I will never leave you because I don't want my life to be apart from you anymore. And that's the kind of covenant God makes with his people. And so he makes four in the Old Testament. Just in a few chapters, he thinks, man, everybody's violent all the time. And we're going to just flood this whole earth now. But he saves one group of people. And he promises to them to know. He makes a covenant and says, I will never destroy the earth or every living thing or any humans anymore. Like, I'm committed to this project. Creation's not going to end and you're going to be with me in it. And he restarts the world. Then a few chapters later, he makes a promise to Abraham's family. He's like, to your family, through your family, and the little land I'm going to give you, 
we're going to bless all families and all lands and eventually make all the families and all the lands right. And so they start that project. And then 400 years later, after slavery, he redeems the beginnings of that family out of Egypt and makes them a, a new nation and then gives them a new covenant with the law. Like, okay, this is laws for you. I'm committed to you. We're going to do this together, and you're going to keep this law. And then he makes a promise to David and says, through David, your son is going to be the king that makes the whole world right one day, and he will, he will reign forever. And finally, he fulfills those covenants with Jesus, that he's the true faithful son of Abraham. He's the true faithful son of David. He's the true faithful human, and God is making things right through a human being towards an end game where God will be with his people and they reign forever. Straight to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And so the end of all things in a creation that feels broken, many of us would want to vacate our bodies to get out of here. This world can be so tough and hard sometimes. And yet the end of it is not leaving the whole situation so we can float with happiness, but heaven will come down and renew earth. Heaven's going to be right here, but only more solid, only more like physical, like the grit of life, only better with God fully there and God's people. Let's keep going. And the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life. If you read Genesis 1 and 2 well, what do you see in the garden? There's a river of life there, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. What was true of Eden? God was there without any obstruction. What will be true in heaven? God's going to be there and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, because we're in real physical life, on each side of the river stood what? Tree of life. Full circle. It's coming from the beginning where he is a tree of life that will feed his people in creation and make things right. It was terrible. We got separated, but God did all the work to bring it back and bearing 12 crops of, crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month in the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The nations were once seen as enemies of God. God has gone the full way to make things right so that they can participate in new creation with God. That's the big picture of God's love a promise, rugged commitment. It had to be rugged because sin and Satan and death and evil got in the way. And God's like, I'm never leaving y'all. We will do this. And God's going to put us on his back to do the work. It's like, I forgot that Bulls player. He's nameless. But back he played with Michael Jordan. And one day, Michael Jordan scored 69 points in the game. And this dude scored one point. And they interviewed him afterwards. And he was like, tell us about how it feels to this game. He was like, Man, I will always remember this day at the time of me and Michael Jordan combined to get 70 points today. And when we get to heaven one day, we'll be like, man, look what me and God did. Look how me and God did this together. Because he's like, I want you to partner with me. It's like when your kids want to clean the house with you, but they just don't. Man, like they make a bigger mess, bro. I know where they're supposed to learn one day. that That's not how you clean. So, um, but we get to do it with God. And he's like, I want to do creation with you, and you're going to reign. He even says it. No longer will there be any curses gone. Throne of God and Lamb of City, and his servants will serve him just like we were supposed to, and we will see his face because he's going to be with us. His name's on our foreheads. No more night. No more need for even light because God's going to be there. 
and what? They will reign forever and ever. He made us in the garden to serve him and to reign with him, this permanent partnership. And now we get to do it again in heaven. Heaven's not like, let's get to heaven, float and be alone and just enjoy nice things. We are back in this partnership with God to let creation finally flourish. And every wound and death that was ever part of old creation is going to be made right. And maybe our reigning will be the help of God binding up those wounds. That's love. This is the level of love that he has committed to us. Not just affirmation, not go achieve your personal dream. We are in God's world and we are living it with him. And we get to wake up into life with him and partner with him for his good world. That's love. You're invited to partner with God in his creation for his purposes. So what's it feel like in between? It's painful, man. I'm not going to lie to you. You know this, though. You, you, you'd be, you would think I'm crazy. I'm telling you it's not. We know life. If you're in this room, you know life. If you exist, you suffer. But I consider our present sufferings, Paul says, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. One day when things are made right, the present sufferings can't be compared. So you won't even be able to compare. If they cannot be compared, they won't be compared. You will get in heaven one day with that glorious new creation, and the sufferings will like be a blip in the memory. They won't even exist anymore because they can't be compared to what you'll get when you have God. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed because when we get revealed, creation gets to be made right too. We get to go first, and then we reign to make creation right, and creation's waiting was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. God is subjecting creation right now to evil and to harm until he comes again and hope that creation will be liberated. God's not going to abandon this from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We will be children when we were once orphans. Our glory is that we will reign with God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Who's groaning in here, man? Who came in here groaning? Talk to me, man. Talk, yeah, just like me. That's right. If you live, and especially you try to partner with God, you're going to groan. And Paul's like, yeah, you're going to groan. It's going to feel like childbirth, which, praise God, I didn't have to do that. But I can't imagine the pain. And yet, to exist is to be in the groans of that with God. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit, the spirit that breathed life into our bodies when we were dust in Genesis 1 and 2 has returned and given life to our bodies again as a promise that he will finally make creation right. We groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption. Listen, the redemption of our bodies. He's committed to the goodness of real, physical, gritty creation. There ain't no escaping it, but our bodies that are decaying and breaking down, our bodies that carry the wounds the physical and emotional wounds of our lives will be redeemed in full. Our brains rewired and made right. Our hearts no longer breaking and also no longer stopping beating. Our bodies meant to function the way they would have had there never been a curse. This is the only hope that can satisfy. You won't be satisfied by a hope that says, uh, all those wounds will be forgotten and you'll just be floating around. No, man, I need God to go right to the spot where it hurts and heal that very spot right to the spot I can't go back and change and make that piece in my body right again. This body that saw and felt hurt and pain and cried tears, I want him to go there and redeem that. 
That's the groaning we're doing now. And so we're between old creation and new creation, and you will feel this tension of your life stretched out. You feel that as if people were pulling your very body apart. You will feel that. If you live life with Jesus, you will feel that. But the promise here is to say your suffering in partnership with God will bear fruit in this life and in the life to come. Your suffering is not in vain. To exist is to suffer. But to be a Christian is to let your suffering be bound up and unified with God on the way to his reign making things right. That is his love for us. To receive his love is to pray and suffer with him and to join right now in the remaking of new creation. How y'all feeling, man? Everybody good? We good? All right, we good. So what this means for God's love, these are implications. That was a story, story time. I have three things of how this means our, God's love for us, and then two for how we love other people. First, total security with God. He's committed, fully committed. If you think about your sources of insecurity are at the root, abandonment. Yeah, one day this person will not be committed to me. One day maybe God won't be committed to me. But if God's committed to see it through to the end, total security. Paul's like, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered to be sleep, sheep to be slaughtered. That's what it feels like sometimes to exist. But will any of that separate us? No, in all these things, you are victorious. You are a victim temporarily, but you are a conqueror through him who loved us. It's a love that is committed, a rugged commitment. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, no spiritual power, angels and demons, nothing that's happening right now, nor any of the things we're terrified that might happen in the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, which includes you. If you're like me, you're like, man, I trust that all them other things won't separate me from God. But I might. <laughs> It'll be me that does it. But you were in creation and you won't. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your sins and failures and wounds and weaknesses and even doubts and faithlessness feels like it runs deep. But God's rugged commitment to you runs deeper and goes deeper than that. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so that allows for total security. There's no fear of abandonment. Even the worst thing that could ever happen to you could not overcome the fact that God is committed to you. It's a rugged commitment. The foundation of God's love for us is a rugged commitment, which makes you secure. And you're going to need that security because you're going to be transformed. And that hurts. Receiving God's love is a surrender to being transformed towards the final purpose. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's not your physical nature. He's not saying put to death your physical limitations. Put to death the things that make you human. It's normal to have weakness as a human. You're putting to death the fleshly part of you that wants to exist apart from God's spirit within you. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices, and I've put on the new self, which is being renewed and knowledge in the image of its creator. The renewal you get to be a part of with God 
is looking back to what Genesis 1 and 2 were about, a partnership with God in your body through his spirit to reign with him. Looking towards a renewal of all things in creation by the creator. And so God says, I am fully committed to you. You didn't do anything to get that commitment. He committed to you first before you existed. And then he committed to you after you did everything you could not to receive his love. But he's saying, what I'm committed to you, though, though there was no condition to get my commitment to you. Now that I'm committed to you, I got to get you right for heaven. Because I'm, I'm going someplace down the road, and I need to get you right for that. So join with me permanently, because I'm not going anywhere. I got all the time in the world. I exist forever. Nothing's going to happen to me. Join with me so that I can get your heart and mind and body transformed, not so you can discover your true self, not so you can find your special purpose in life, not so that you could enjoy and become happy, but to get you ready for the renewal of all things. That's the journey you get to be on. And deep down, we want that. We're not satisfied with the life that we live. We need God's spirit to renew us and invite us towards a purpose. And so you're like, that sounds good, but I can't handle what I'm facing now and what that challenge means for me. That's great, because my third implication deals exactly with that question. Nothing is wasted in that process. So you're like, well, I was down to feel safe with God and to join him in this transformation process, but then cancer got in the way. And then my friend's death got in the way. And then my own failures got in the way. And then addiction got in the way. But we know, for Romans 8, 28, and I like this translation from N.T. Wright. It's not all things work together. There's someone working all things. We know that God works all things together for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So what it's saying is, all the things in the world that you can ever imagine happening or that have happened, God didn't make those things happen. Don't look at your suffering and your pain and tragedy as like God made it happen. It's more like, man, you are in the crossfires of a war zone. Sin, Satan, and death are still here. You're like, why? I'm asking the same question. The fact is they are. But God's like, guess what? Even when Satan and sin and death do their worst back then, we will, me and you together, are going to join to make that wound and that sin and that brokenness and that death and disease and that grief and your outcries into this ultimate purpose. So he's like, I'm committed to you no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. Through that commitment, I'm gonna take you on a journey to get your heart and your mind ready for heaven. And we're on that journey together, you're gonna get knocked down and it's gonna hurt because to exist is to suffer. But guess what? God does it too. He carries that cross too and he's like, me too. When I existed with you, like I did as a human being, I suffered too. And so you're going to join with me towards this ultimate purpose. Me and you will partner together in creation. Me and you will partner together in heaven. And me and you are even going to partner together right now as we get you ready to join in heaven well. Because I'm getting the whole world ready and I want you to be with me. That's how God loves us. That's what you should expect when you're receiving God's love. And I would train you then when you face life's worst circumstances... You cry until you can't cry no more tears. And God's like, we're going to take that thing and you're going to be with me and God's people and we're going to get us all ready for heaven. 
says, I'm going to make things right, and I want you to join with me. That's how God loves us. Now, if that's how God loves us, we go from that. God loves us. We love other people. The foundation of our love for others is our commitment to them. You say to a person, I'm not going anywhere. As long as you want to be with me, I'll be with you. As long as you have a softened heart ready to be with me, I'm committed to you too. We're not scandalized by confessions or sin. We're not thrown off by someone being too much, by someone not being enough, by someone that, uh, that wears us down. We're like, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. So as long as you want to be with me in this journey, I'll be with you. Full-blown commitment. And in a culture that is very non-committal, that's actually really powerful to say, I'm not going anywhere. Most relationships in this world, in our culture especially, are like, ah, I'm with you until further notice. Because you don't know what I might face one day that you might be too hard to carry. And I don't know what you might become one day that might be a bit too much for me where I'm not getting enough in this relationship. And, you know, I love counselors. I'm in counseling right now. But sometimes with the therapeutic talk, we can use talk about boundaries and things like that to justify our noncommittalness. You know what, well, my counselor will work with me, and she tells me that you're a bit too much for my life. And so I, out of my personal health and well-being, I'm going to draw a boundary, and you're out of it. Now, we do have to draw boundaries sometimes, but it's when they refuse to join in in a healthy way. There are times when you have to draw a boundary. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. That comes from a good place. I'm saying there's an abuse of it sometimes that can justify withdrawing from commitment a bit too soon. And it's good to just know that good things, like loving with the boundary, can be abused, and to be watchful to how we could abuse that in a culture that is uh, so allergic to commitment. Sometimes the love, though, requires a boundary, which is the next part. Our love from others is bounded. There is a boundary by Christ's commitment and purposes for creation. So even in Revelation 21, 22, promises are flowing. God's like, man, I'm going to make things right. Heaven's going to be something else. I'm going to be victorious. But he's like, guess what, though? Murderers and thieves and unrepentant folks and people that are anti-me, they don't want me. They don't want my covenant. Uh, they're insistent on destroying creation resisting creation, tearing down creation without any sign of openness to repentance. God's like, look, man, my mercy is very wide. It goes very deep, and it is permanent and inclusive. But I wonder if it's so wide it would ever overcome human resistance. At some point, he's like, I love you too much to force you into a party you don't want to be at. I'll grant you the freedom to not be at that party. And God puts a boundary. Actually, he lets people draw their own boundaries. And so there's times when uh, there's a call to affirm people where they are. And you're like, look, I'm committed to you. Your life isn't going to make me not committed to you. But I might need to draw a boundary here. I'm not going to celebrate this. If you ever love someone who's an addict, they think to love them is to give them their drug. But you know that's the worst thing you can do for them. So you're like, look, man, I'm committed to you. I'm always going to be here, but my best form of commitment to you is to put a boundary up and say, I'm not going to help you be addicted. Now, you nod your head because, like, that's obvious. But I want to back up and realize there's other things, too, that might be less obvious to your mind now. But if scripture and creation and new creation is our boundary, is, is more obvious than you realize. And to say, 
we can't just celebrate all the things. And so there's people in my life sometimes that are like, I'm committed to you. We will go follow Jesus together. They're like, well, your form of commitment to me has to mean affirming this lifestyle choice of mine or affirming this belief I have. And I'm like, no, man, I'm with you, but I'm bound by something even bigger than what you think you need from me. And so we can exist together, but I can't celebrate, you know, something like addiction, but many other things that are in conflict with what Christ is doing in the world. Now, I want you to notice there's a gap, though. It doesn't mean I'm not committed to you. And sometimes people may not receive that, but this is where there's, this is, it gets hairy. This is where you got SFGs and you got friendships to say, listen, I had this family member. My mom has been the same for 40 years, and I don't know how to get through to her. She's too tough for me, and she gaslights me all the time. It's like, okay, let's pray. How do we love this person? It's hard. It's be hard conversations. But recognize the two factors is I'm committed open to embrace you. I have a will that longs to see the best in you, and I'm bounded by Christ's purposes for creation of what I can celebrate, what can I affirm, what can I join in you with, what can we partner together on, because I'm going with Jesus, and I'm permanently open to letting you join in and committed to being in a relationship with you, even if you don't want to be. There's lots of tension there, but I'm stepping into the tension I think God has with creation and God has with human beings. And he promises to us, I want to close with this as we go into communion, the personal commitment to you. He says in Philippians 1, God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will finish it. So if you are on your journey with Jesus now and it has the dip and you feel the confusion and the suffering and the struggle and the tears and lamentation, if you feel the doubt and the sense of failure and the shame, God promises that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's going to make all things right one day, and he's got all the time in the world to take us there with him. Will we receive that rugged commitment to us to let our lives be transformed, and will we devote ourselves to inviting all to come in to this lavish, abundant, never-ending love? Let's pray.